0: Hi, this is Dave Detton of Dave's Voice Works and Radio Guy Reflections and TurnbuckleTrash.net. Two great podcasts, one about professional wrestling and one about radio. And it's all on Anchor. Now, if you haven't heard about Anchor, here's a great way to make a podcast. Use Anchor. It's the easiest way to make a podcast because, hey, it's free. And they give all the creation tools that allow you to record and edit any podcast you'd like to do right from your computer. Use Anchor. Anchor, the best way to podcast and the best way to listen to Turnbuckle Trash or Radio Guy Reflections.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, in just a
0: few moments, we start our daily broadcast. Who listens to radio? Hi, I'm Dave Denton. I'm a radio guy, and even went by that name on the air in Missouri. This is Radio Guy Reflections. On past episodes of Radio Guy Reflections, we've talked with Bart Herperson, the president of the Nashville Songwriters Association. Also joining us with Jeff Katz, an award-winning talk show host in Richmond, Virginia. And we've talked to several members of the San Antonio, Texas, Radio Hall of Fame. Radio Guy Reflections is brought to you by daysvoiceworks.com. Spell works W-O-R-X and find out how to put Day's Voice to work for you. You can also listen to past editions of Radio Guy Reflections and our other podcast, 3W News and Turnbuckle Trash. Today, we're talking with Claire Beverly, a radio news anchorwoman who came to radio in her 30s. Claire, welcome to Radio Guy Reflections.
1: I'm doing fine. i got a dog sitting on my lap right now, so that's usually my happy place.
0: Oh, you're an animal (laughs) lover?
1: Yes, I am. I have a lot of of pets in this house.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Claire, uh, I am so happy that you uh, agreed to do this because uh, we... uh, uh connected as uh, members of the remote news service now, and I'm a new hire, and, and I'm uh, awful, awful nervous about doing this kind of stuff. My background is more in programming with a little bit of news. So I wanted to talk to you about you, though, because, Claire, uh, I know you do uh, a lot of different uh, things, and you've had a lot of different experiences. So let's, as they said in The Sound of Music, let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. <laughs> I don't look anything like Julie Andrews, I'll guarantee you that. But, Claire, uh, where are you from, and uh, what were some of the early influences that got you into this career in radio news?
1: I am originally from Toledo, Ohio, um, and the radio was just always on in our house. And some of the earliest memories I have, and this is so so funny to think about, but I, I shared a room with my sister, my big sister, And we had a clock radio and every day her alarm would go off. And when she was in, I suppose she, my sister's eight years older than I am. So she would have been in high school. I was a little kid and uh, she listened to this radio station called FM 104. It was the, the rock station. It's funny. I think of it now as classic rock, but I suppose at the time it's just what, what it was. Right. Um, And uh, there was a newscaster named Jane Perry. And I don't even know if that's her real name or not, but I can just always remember waking up and hearing the uh, the alarm go off and it would be the news. And she would give the local news and then she'd say for FM 104 News, I'm Jane Perry. And I don't know what it was about that, but even as a little kid, I thought that was just so cool. Um, And then also the other kind of like really key memory I have of, of radio or radio listening or, or why it felt influential to me was um, my dad always had on um, WJR, which is the big, the big stick radio, you know, AM in Detroit. My dad was from Detroit and uh, it was always news and talk, but also the Detroit Tigers. And he always, to me, baseball is radio. Like I'll watch baseball on TV, but I would much rather listen to a baseball game. And it was Ernie Harwell. And then later it was George Kell and Al Kaline um, who were, who were ball players. And it's just like that, that voice, that Ernie Harwell voice. And then later, you know, as an adult, when I moved out to the West coast, you know, getting to enjoy listening to Vince Scully. Um, those are, those were just the voices that really meant a lot to me. And it was all, you know, looking back now, I mean, I loved music. Who didn't Who didn't listen to Casey Kasem and you know Top 40 and all that kind of stuff? But it was those broadcasters. It was those news people and sports and, and traffic and weather. I don't know what it was, but for some reason, I was more drawn to those voices than I was to the, the disc jockeys um, or Wolfman Jack or stuff like that, which, again, I appreciated. But the other thing was – was what I was drawn to, and I even have as a kid. Um, I remember getting a tape recorder, which was the height of technology in those days, um, a little cassette player, and my friends and I would would talk like we were on the radio. And I was always doing little weather reports and little traffic reports <laughs> on these cassettes. And it's like I look back on it now, and it's just it's so funny to me. But I did not go directly into radio. Um, I was in theater. I was really a performer more than anything. And, um, so I majored in theater when I went to college, I went to the university of Cincinnati and, um, it turns out I was not a particularly great actor, or at least not in comparison with, with, um, my fellow students. So I fell into stage management and my first career was as a stage manager for professional live theater. Mm-hmm. Um, And that's what I went to school for. And that was when I, um, uh, the other, the other thing is, even though I'm from Toledo, Ohio, originally, we have family in California and we would go visit my aunt in Los Angeles and it's the only place I ever wanted to live. So when I, um, left college, all the internships I applied for for professional theater were all on the West coast. I had no intention of ever staying in the Midwest as a, as a kid. Um, so I ended up um, in uh, Orange County, California, working for a, a theater there called South Coast Repertory Theater. And I did that until I was 30. Um, but I, I just I fell out of love with theater um, or with the process of doing it. It just it was uh, probably because of the job I ended up with. It ended up just being a real grind and I no longer wanted to do it. By that time, I was living in Seattle. Um, and working for the Seattle Repertory Theater. And my, my partner, who's now, now my wife, uh, we met there at that time. And she was also kind of overdoing theater. And she decided she wanted to get a, a, a master's degree in painting, uh, in fine art. And so we decided as a, as a team uh, that we were going to leave theater and we were going to pursue something else. And it's funny, all of this time, it never occurred to me to go into radio, never in a million years, even though looking back now, it was a thing that I loved so much as a child, but I don't know why it never occurred to me. And uh, when we, we got down to Southern California to Long Beach so she could get her master's degree, and I kind of went through this career crisis. I did a little, trying to get in the movies a little bit as a, um, you know, whatever a stage manager would, would do there. Um, and I did I did some temping. And I read this book called What Color Is Your Parachute? Are you familiar with that one?
0: Yeah, I've heard of it, yeah.
1: Yeah, it, it's basically sort of how to, how to how to find your career. And I'm reading this book, and it was interesting, and I did a lot of the exercises, but there was one chapter that I that I didn't read, um, and it was something about, like, you know, your career and God. And I, it just didn't... It, it was not something that I felt was necessarily for me. I didn't think about a faith-based decision about what to do for your career. And then one day, because it was the only chapter that I had never read, I went ahead and read the chapter. And it basically said, what are your gifts? What did, what did, what did God give you that you have that, that nobody else has? And I really had to think about that. And I thought, well, you know, people always said I had a nice voice. And that was it, like all, like literally, this light bulb went off, I should go into radio, and all of this stuff just came kind of crashing back to me, you know, isn't that crazy? That's weird, yeah. It is, it's like you, you, you know, you're not ready for something, you know, I I always feel like you don't really get something until you're ready for it, right, and apparently I was ready for it that moment, and I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll go to broadcasting school, (laughs) and I found a one of those, uh, you know, uh, pay $10,000 and we'll get you a job in radio kind of schools. Um, but it turned out to be really great for me because I was in Los Angeles. Um, there were, they had a lot of connections. And what set me apart from the other students was I really only wanted to do news. I did not want to be a disc jockey and everybody else did. So when it was when it was time for job placement, um, I really had a leg up on everybody else because I was looking for something that, that no one else was looking for. Um, so I got a job with um oh, you know, everything changes names, but in those days it was it was called Clear Channel, uh, which is now I iHeart Media. And um I got a job with a company called Airwatch America, which is a traffic and news service that provided news and traffic to all of uh, Clear Channel's stations in Los Angeles, but also uh, some smaller clusters that clear channel owned that were in smaller markets like to hatch P and that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, I was hired as a one day a week fill in producer. And within five years I was the assistant operations manager and I had my own shift and I, I, I made the schedule. So I put myself on the, on in the afternoons and I was doing traffic for, uh, KFI and um, Star 98.7 and um, uh, a uh, KGGI and, and a handful of other stations, um, and I loved it. I loved I just I loved working for a traffic and news service because you, it was never boring ever. You were doing several things at once, um, three three stations all live, and you had to just really time it down to the second to make sure you got to the right place, and then maybe you were cranking out news for a couple of places too. Um
0: no pressure there. That. No pressure. Yeah, at all. no yeah. Kidding.
1: No pressure. Um and then I did all the scheduling and helped help to run the service. Um, and by then we had about we had about 60 employees and you know, doing about 40 radio stations when you when you added it all together. We had mm-hmm. some non, you know, some independent stations as well. Um but as this time progressed in my life, um my family things happened and my parents were getting older and were not well and i was several thousand miles away from them and mm-hmm. i wanted to be closer to them right and at the same time uh my partner who had since gotten her masters and had a series of part-time jobs driving all over southern california which is not fun um <sighs> decided that she wanted something more permanent and uh she got a uh, as time passed uh my family my my siblings and my parents uh, all ended up in Georgia, and so when my partner got this job at the Savannah College of Art and Design, and they paid for our relocation, uh, that is when I left. And um, at this point, uh, I'm at this point I was the only person I ever knew who who quit Clear Channel and hadn't been fired from it. <laughs> <laughs> that was I love it. Something I was very proud of. <laughs> um, and so we moved out to Savannah and then I spent the next 10 years there and uh, I was very fortunate that I was there for the last years of my parents' lives. So I I got to spend some really great uh, quality time with my mom before she passed. Yeah. And then my, my dad somewhat as well, he had Alzheimer's. So it was a little bit of a slower process for him, but I was there for that. And my sister and my brothers and, and my nieces and nephews and just really like, I will never ever, ever regret that because Mm. it was like, The best, the best time I could have spent. So Um,
0: you, you, you earlier in in the podcast, you talked about your love of baseball, and you talked about Ernie Harwell and Al Kaline, who I'm very familiar with because I'm, I'm a big baseball fan myself of the St. Louis uh, Baseball Cardinals. Then you started talking about your, your background in theater, and I had a little light bulb moment here, if you don't mind. There's something that ties those two together, is because. Ernie Harwell was a great storyteller. And then yes. you get into theater, you're telling stories. So your background of loving both of those really worked very well into what you're doing now, telling the story of the news and the traffic. I I just had that little thought go through my mind.
1: It, it does. You're right. It absolutely does. That's not something I would have put together on my own. But you're right. There is something about that. The story, the narrative, the what they call in radio theater of the mind, right? Mm-hmm, Setting the right. stage for, for the audience. I had, I, I'm going to sidetrack all over the place, but I, I want to sidetrack about something that just oh, happened go for recently. It. Um, there was a a football game on this weekend, the playoffs. And uh, I, for the life of me, I can't even remember which game it was. I think it was Jacksonville coming back from like, you know, 30 points down to, to, to beat the Chargers. And the announcers were uh, Al Michaels and uh, and Tony Dungy. And the game, it was a very dramatic game. And when it ended, it ended on a field goal and the crowd went wild. And they didn't say anything. And the next day there was this, you know, Twitter was like, oh, they're so boring. they should have been screaming and yelling and screaming and yelling. And I'm like, no, they shouldn't have been screaming and yelling. The crowd screaming is the story. Not the announcer screaming, right? Uh-huh. Uh, that That's my view. That is what made Vin Scully and Ernie Harwell and all of these guys. They set the story for you. They set it up. They tell you what's coming. And then they let the event tell the story. They don't blather all over it, right. you know. Um, and that really irked me. <laughs> and then maybe I'm showing my age. No. Maybe, you know, maybe it's the younger people want the announcer screaming and yelling, but... But I want I want them to just set the story for me, and then let the live action tell the rest. You know.
0: You know, Chris Berman did something like that uh, years ago on ESPN, and uh, man, I'm just having a, a brain freeze here at who it was. They were uh, getting ready to set a huge record in Baltimore uh, and about longevity, and when uh, the Brook I want to say Brooks Robinson, but that's not it. Uh, anyway. When the batter came to bat, and he was going to set this record, uh, the Ironman record.
1: Oh, Cal Ripken. Yeah, Cal, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's right. And then Chris Berman said, I'll let the crowd tell you what's going on. And he didn't say anything for like 10 to 15 minutes. And it was so effective because you saw Ripken running around, high-fiving the fans, running around the stadium, and then... It's almost like you were there. So I agree with you because I saw some uh, on Facebook with uh, uh, SI with some of these people going crazy saying bad things about Al Michaels, and he's a legend (laughs) as far as I'm concerned. I've done a little sports broadcasting in my day, and if you don't mind, I'm going to take a little sidetrack here because I took a moment from uh, Chris Berman when I was doing a high school basketball game, Uh, back in Missouri, right outside of St. Louis. And uh, the high school team was just hotter than hot. And they couldn't miss a shot. Well, they're towards the end of the game, and they're close to 100 points. Well, in a high school game, that's incredible. Of course. So I said in the last 30 seconds, I would just be quiet and let the crowd reaction tell you the story. And I got more comments about that because it became the listener became part of the broadcast, mm-hmm. and the crowd became. And when you mention Al Michaels, I, I thank you. So I don't mean to pat myself on the back because I stole it from Chris Berman. So, but then again, you steal everything you can in this business. So that's right. <laughs> anyway, that 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 was very very uh, very insightful of you. So let's get back to you, Claire. After we talk about Chris Berman, Al Michaels, and myself. Let's talk about you a little bit more. So you're you're in Savannah, Georgia, and uh, what, what's going on at that point uh, after, especially after your parents passed away, and you decided to move back to the West Coast.
1: Right. So I was in Savannah uh, for nearly ten years, mm-hmm. and I was working for this. Uh, Radio station cluster i was doing news and traffic for for all stations and um as you can imagine doing six stations at once much of it was pre-recorded and and sent through the computer system and i basically lived in a little closet and the country station had had some turnover and they brought in this this uh guy named tim leary uh who i was talking to in the kitchen one day and we just hit it off like peas and carrots And he said, why are you hiding in this little closet? And I said, well, this is where I do the news and traffic. And he said, well, you need to come into the studio. And I went into the the studio of this radio station. It was Bob 106.9, country show. And I ended up being part of the morning show. Uh, I was still doing all of my work as the news director on all the other stations and doing public affairs and that kind of stuff. But I also would run back and forth and and be live on this country show. And it was a blast. Mm And this show, um, our little country show, caught the attention of Hubbard Media, uh, which at that time in Seattle, there was a, a, a big up, shakeup of country music stations with the CBS Intercom merger. These two companies moved together and they had too many radio stations and they decided to, to take one of them off the air. And Hubbard Radio decided to put a country station on the air and they chose our show to be the morning show. So we went from. Uh, Savannah, Georgia, Market 160 <laughs> to Seattle, Washington, Market 12 <laughs> mm. in in a day. Yeah. Um, and, you know, by then, my, as I said, my parents had passed and my, my nieces and nephews were older. And so I had my my sisters and brothers blessings to, to move back to the West Coast. And this is where my partner's family is anyways out here. And so we took that opportunity to move back to Seattle. And um, I did that show for about three years. And then uh, they let us go. Uh, there were some personnel changes. They brought in a different host for the show. They kept me on, which was which was great and, and terrifying all at the same time. Um, and then uh, eventually we all let go too. When when COVID hit, they had to make some changes. And it's interesting because I had always loved news and traffic. That's always been my wheelhouse. I never thought of my show myself as a morning show. Gal or co-host or any of that kind of stuff, and it was fun. I, I did enjoy it, but it was a risk, you know. I mean, I had a pretty comfortable situation out there in in Savannah. We owned a home, we had friends, we had family, and it was a it, it's the big biggest risk I ever took. And in a lot of ways, it it didn't pay off, right? Because at the end of the day, after three years, we got let go, and I always. I have such mixed emotions about that. I'm grateful for the opportunity to have been a big major market morning show girl, you know, um, but I also sometimes regret having taken the risk. There's a, such a safety in, in, in news and traffic. And I'm so blessed that it happens to be the thing I'm good at. Um, and to step outside of that was really terrifying and, also exhilarating and all of those things. Um, so I, depending on which day you ask me is whether or not I regret it. (laughs) but, uh, um, in the end, uh, because it didn't work out, we ended up moving to Salem, Oregon, which is where I am now. Uh, this is the hometown of of my partner. And so her family's all here and friends. And, um, it's a lovely little town. I have discovered about myself that I am a small town person, not a big town person. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, while I was here, uh, after we moved and I was then unemployed um, and sort of figuring out what to do, I was contacted by my old boss from when I worked at Clear Channel in Los Angeles. And he is now um, the uh, news director for um, KCBS in San Francisco, which is the all news talk or all news uh, station in San Francisco. And he said, well, if you need a little extra money because it's covid everybody's remote right now so there's no reason you can't do traffic reports from oregon because everybody's doing it from their home and i thought well that's pretty great (laughs) you know that i like that um and i thought well i'll do that a couple of days a week and see what happens and that was almost two years ago and i'm still doing it um and I work nights for KCBS. I, I work uh, during the day. I'm an, an off air producer helping the the reporters gather information. And then at night, I am the traffic reporter. Mm-hmm. And um, they have since started calling everybody back to the office. Right now, it's only the people who work during the day. So because I have a night shift, I'm not called back to the office. Um and frankly, I'm not moving to San Francisco. So, you know, if, if, if there does come a day where they call everybody back, I don't know what will happen. I assume I will. I will then be out of work. But in the meantime, it's one of the best jobs I've ever had. I've never lived in San Francisco. I had to study it. I had to learn it. Uh, it was a great, great challenge. One of the greatest challenges I've ever had was having to learn this brand new city where I've never lived. I love the city. I visited. I have family there. and I'm familiar with it. But as a traffic reporter, you really, really have to know something. Right. And um, I'm pretty, pretty proud of, of that accomplishment that I I've gotten to the point where people don't know that I don't live there. Um And so that's, you know, my, my primary job. And then within all of this, we haven't even talked about remote news services service, which is where you and I met, um, the owner, Leslie Lotto. I knew her from back when I worked, uh, in Los Angeles, she was working for KFI as a writer and reporter and, um, Later, when I moved to Savannah, is when um, I got in contact with her. She was looking for people to do this remote news, and that has been great fun. Um, remote news service is an opportunity to work uh, for very small markets, obviously. And pre-COVID, I mean, she really, she was really in, in I guess what you call the catbird seat when the pandemic hit because she was already set up to do. This. She's been doing, you know, work from home. In broadcast for what 15 years, maybe right. something like that, mm-hmm. um, and it it was great fun. I places places like Creston, Iowa, and and Milford, Massachusetts, and um, uh, uh, Tillamook, Oregon, and just like these <laughs> wonderful parts of America that I would not normally have have known anything about, and so that's been a challenge and and a lot of fun too, and I've and I've kept that up. Um, I took a few years off of it when I was in Seattle just because it was, it was time consuming. But now that I'm back, you know, freelancing again, uh, I've, I've come at, come at it in a much better place because I kind of have a better understanding of how it works. So.
0: Well, my first assignment was Gray's Harbor in Washington, which is outside of Seattle. And I found myself uh, really, even after I had done, I think it was just one week I did, but I, I, found myself wanting to find out what was going on. And then it was on Christmas day when they had the power outage there that was sabotaged by two guys that were looking to rob jewelry stores in the area of all things. So that was a big news that was nationwide happening right there. And then they also had uh, just major storms that were right. was knocking power out and just causing all kinds of havoc there and I found myself even to, like last night, I checked a couple of news sources from Grace Harbor area just so I could see what was going on. And you do find yourself wanting to know more about the these little towns. And uh, I, I think it's an interesting concept, the uh, remote news service, and I am just more than happy to be a part of it. I'm glad that Leslie decided that uh, this big old fat guy from Utah could uh, <laughs> do something like that, you know?
1: Isn't isn't that interesting? How you said you're, you're. It's like you're invested now, right? In this, in this little town, yeah. I, I feel the same way about. Um, uh, I do news now for uh, Whitesburg, Kentucky, in in Letcher County. Uh, it's it's coal country, and um, they have had uh, a disastrous flood in the last several years, but just this last July unbelievably just disastrous flooding and i'm doing this story and all of a sudden i'm looking at like some kind of i don't know cbs national news and there they are on the news wow. oh my gosh my tiny little town is mm. is a national news story because of this horrible you know tragedy but you know even though I, i'm doing news for them every day and i'm following this but i know what you mean even if even if i had filled in you know i want it. you want to check back in on grace harper and see how everybody's doing mm-hmm. you know yeah, it's, a, it, it's we're, real. We're really blessed with that opportunity to to, to get outside of our lives and, and really get a handle on, on what's happening, you know, in the rest of the country. Reflections.
0: We'll have more with Claire Beverly coming up right after this. You're listening to Radio Guy Reflections. Open your ears real wide and say, give it to me straight, doctor. I can take it. What is available on DaysvoiceWorks.com? Podcast, like turnbuckle trash, a look at professional wrestling, the 3W News. Give me 10 minutes. I'll give you a few stories that could make you laugh a little <laughs> bit. And Radio Guy Reflections, where I get to talk to other radio people about one of the great industries, radio. And while you're at Dave'sVoiceWorks.com, check out some of the celebrity interviews I had to do during my radio career. People like David Pack. But did you know this about David Pack? Bill Clinton played the saxophone for him, and it made history. Fortunate enough to be asked um, to do President Clinton's first inaugural and his second inaugural. So, and I got. President Clinton to play sax on your mom and don't dance with Kenny Loggins. Daysvoiceworks.com, spell works, W-O-R-X, and find out how you can put Days Voice to work for you. As we say in the radio business, if you put that on the radio, people will listen to it. Reflections. Reflection, 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 reflection. So during your career, I was going to, I think we talked about this just a little bit before we started recording, uh, there's always something that happens in everyone's career, especially if they're involved in news, that uh, stands out. Uh, a news story that you had the opportunity to cover that was either impactful in your life, just tore you up inside emotionally, or it was something that just was so good and so nice that it just stuck with you. And I was going to ask you if you had an experience or two you could uh, share with us that that touched your life over the years of doing uh, news and traffic.
1: Hey, I think the first thing that stands out is um, her, uh, Hurricane Matthew. Um, there was a hurricane in in Savannah a few years back, and Savannah is in an interesting part of the country. It's in this little, uh, the coast kind of tucks in a little bit. And so hurricanes are are very common coming up through Florida and then kind of hitting hitting North Carolina. But because of the geography, they don't as frequently come straight into Savannah and Hilton Head and, and, and Bluffton and, and Buford. Um, you still feel the effects of them, but it's not a direct hit. And we had a direct hit uh, one year when I was there. And it was uh, really, really quite scary. The water, the water more than the wind, but the both, both of them were bad. And so what we did was we tied all six radio stations together onto one signal yeah. and mixed up the music <laughs> so that there was something for everybody and basically broadcast live nonstop for about Seven days, and we did it in shifts. There was a team who actually stayed during the storm, stayed inside the radio station, boarded up the windows, got a generator going. Um, at one point, the generator failed, and somebody like took a cigarette pack and wadded it up and stuck it in there for, to make the fuse sit a little bit better, <laughs> and, and all of that stuff. Uh, I was not on the team that that stayed overnight that night, um, but I came in the next day. And we were on the air for about, at that point, a couple of days straight, just 24 hours, we would work in in like, uh, six hour shifts. And all we did was talk to people and help people find we, we gave information, you know, where, you know, where, where was the power out? and Where was it working? And get ice and and where could you get supplies and where could you get cleaning materials and where could you get this and where could you get that and and you know when is when is the power coming back in the cable and when is this tree going to get cleared and who has a chainsaw and my dog is missing and that was probably the most impactful thing was helping people uh, reunite people with their pets and this was all listener driven I mean we had we had the information and the information sources and we would interview um, police and mayors and, and emergency responders but most of what it was, was people just calling because they needed someone to talk to. Mm. They, they were listening to the radio. We were their companions. They were hearing their neighbors and, and people from neighboring towns going through the same thing banding together. There was a lady, we helped somebody get insulin. There was someone who was out of insulin and there was someone else who had some, that was the exact dosage and and the things that they needed. And they managed a a, a tree of people to get it to this person. Um, Helping people just understand where the help was and how to give help as well as get help. It was tremendous. It was absolutely tremendous. And, and it was coming during a very, um, Difficult election season, and it was a time when there was a lot of anger and strife, and all of that went away because everyone was united. I, nobody asked who anybody was voting for when they came out with a chainsaw to cut up a tree so they could clear the street so emergency right. responders could get through, right? All that went out the window. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of them. Um, another one is going to be 9-11, I can't imagine there's anybody that you've interviewed on your podcast that hasn't talked about the impact that 9/11 has had on them.
0: Yeah, we've all been there. Yeah,
1: yeah. And that was a day where I was in Los Angeles at the time, and um, you know we really didn't have any any idea what was going on. But I, all I knew was I had to get into work. I needed to to be there because we needed to all kind of all hands on deck figure out what was going on. Whether you were on the air or off the air, you had to be there to help gather information and our our airborne reporters were all grounded so they had to be in the studio too and they they were like fish out of water it was crazy um but what i remember about that day was driving into work to the other radio stations and everybody whether it was the the crazy shock jock or the the wacky morning show or the sports guy or whoever it was they dropped All of their format, and all they were doing was talking about what we know, what we don't know, where you can go, where you can't go, what's open, what's closed, Um, and then of course, you know, trying to bring in national news and and trying to understand on a global perspective what it was that was happening. And it was terrifying to be in a big city like Los Angeles and not knowing what was coming next. I think that's a lot of of the many emotions we were all going through on nine eleven, that first forty eight hours of what is going to happen next was really to me, the thing that, that I feel viscerally. Um, You know, in retrospect, we feel the sadness for the lives that were lost. The time it was happening, it was the, the um, uncertainty, right? I mean, did you, you remember that? And, and so I just felt like radio was such a, it was just so important. Like I just felt like there was nothing more important because it's the most immediate medium. I mean, television is too, but radio you can take with you everywhere, right? If you decided to go for a walk or a jog, you could put it in your headphones. If you were in your car, you were hearing it. Um, And I felt like everybody banded together to, to drop whatever silly wacky craziness they already did, and just helped, helped one another. And those, are, I think those are the two things that, that stand out to me the most.
0: Well, you know, on, the, on that day, I, I was uh, the morning, the, the wacky morning show guy. Uh, but I had a lot of young people working uh, at the radio station with me. Uh, we're in a college town in Logan, Utah. But I also had a, a couple of, uh, of older people. One was a newspaper vet. And I remember when we finally got to the, the aspect that this was going to be a major uh, drop-everything story, uh, we decided to just drop the format and, and take a network feed, and our network feed was interrupted by us with local information. Now, how, mm-hmm. do, how did we get local information here in Cache Valley, Utah? It turned out that uh, some of the people that were killed uh, at the uh, Pentagon were actually from our area, and that, oh, wow. that made it hit home. And then I find out, because I got a telephone call from my sister living in Memphis, Tennessee, Uh, that my other sister had gone to New York City with her son to have Ah. some medical tests done at one of the hospitals there, and they were within five miles of uh, the World Trade Center and had to be evacuated, and we didn't know where they were for almost 24 hours. We had no contact. Oh, my
1: goodness. Wow. And,
0: you know, I've told this story before because I had— I was the one at the radio station here that had the experience of, of, of reporting hard news on the air. And plus, I was very well known. Uh, but boy, when there were times when I opened up the microphone, not knowing where my sister was, not knowing where my nephew was, and then realizing there were people from our area that had lost their lives in this event, that to this day, it affects me, um, yeah. and my sister and my my nephew were fine, and there was no problems there. But my sister still has uh, some pt uh, some some bad memories. I mean, she she'll wake up late at night with uh, with nightmares from it. And when September 11th comes up, she's always posting stories on uh, Facebook. Matter of fact, she was on uh, one of my podcasts talking about the event uh, two years ago, uh, talking about what she saw when she was there. Uh, in New York city. But when you talk about that station in Savannah, the stations in Savannah, just all banding together, that Mm -hmm. to me is what, uh, is one of the strengths of radio, because especially in smaller towns, we can band together and give out information that let's say the Atlanta TV and radio stations, they're not going to do. I don't know how far Savannah is from Atlanta here. In Logan, Utah, we're 80 miles away from Salt Lake City, Utah, a major market. But mm. are they going to take time to talk about what's going on here? You know, our our hospitals were full. Our uh, airports were closed. People had mm. no idea where they could help, if they were going to do a Red Cross blood drive to help, or if there was something else they could do. What is Salt Lake City going to do to talk about Logan, Utah, and Cache Valley, so I right. really liked that when you're talking about the hurricane in Savannah, how you all got together, and it became a story of people and your community. And I that that one got to me. I, I really enjoyed that. That was a great story.
1: I was I, I was very proud of our of our our ownership and our management for for and our engineering for making that happen and for getting that together. And and, and information aside. The music was fun, right? You uh-huh. you you'd get the the country fans that were saying, you know, that were listening to the, you know, you dropped a bomb on me. They they go, oh my god, I I haven't heard that song in you know twenty years. And and then the hard rock fans were here hearing the, you know, Garth Brooks and enjoying that. And and you know, it, it was fun. I mean, even the the listeners rallied with it. And the 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 craziness of the music itself was a nice break of the stress that was going on. So, so it wasn't, the information was the reason that we did it, but but the music kind of helped the listeners too, you know, the difference. Well, during it was nice.
0: Yeah. During your time uh, doing this kind of thing, have you had the opportunity to, to uh, meet or uh, talk to any celebrities that somebody might recognize?
1: Um, well in country music. Yeah. A lot of them. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) I, I could name drop a million, uh, uh, you know, country stars that, that that I've talked to over the years, and and they were all pretty great. Well, most of them, some of them weren't as great. Um, I would say the one, I think one that really stands out for me during COVID, when I was working for the country station in uh, in Seattle, uh, 98 on the Bull, um, and what was happening then was a lot of artists, they couldn't perform, right? Right. I mean, uh, they couldn't go anywhere. And they were kind of missing people as much as anything, and also promotion in case they had something coming out. But most of them were just bored at home. And so the labels and their agents started putting together these opportunities for you to talk with them on Zoom. Mm -hmm. And we've sort of Give it away as a contest. Right. So 10 listeners could be in a Zoom meeting with, you know, Lady Annabellum or Old Dominion or, or, or whoever. And and we did a lot of these things and and they were all quite lovely. But the one that stands out to me the most was Tim McGraw, um, country singer Tim McGraw. We did a, a Zoom with him. There were about, you know, I guess, 10 people that were listeners. And, and then those of us from the radio station got to chime in. And he, we caught him at this moment in his life where he and, and his wife, Faith Hill, who's as famous as he is, had just driven one of their daughters to college. Oh. And because of COVID, they everybody's wearing masks and they got to have this kind of just sort of normal life where the three of them, the you know, Faith and Tim and their daughter, just drove across country to wherever it was she went to college and they would stop and you know get a coke and munchies and and you know all of those things and just he was just telling this story about how he got to just kind of be a normal dad you know for a few days because nobody knew who he was Mm -hmm. um and but also when he got his daughter to college how he cried he was so he started crying telling the story about how he couldn't believe that his little baby girl was going off to college and just you know the the way he was sort of like he really shared his life with you in a way that I had never heard anybody do in a radio interview before, because it wasn't really an interview. It was just kind of him hanging out with 10 people on zoom. Um, I think it was the first, I think it might've been, it, it it wasn't the only one that he had done, but he didn't do very many of them. And it may have been the first one that he did. And I don't think he realized how intimate it was going to be with just 10 people there. Um, I think he thought it was going to be more like a meet and greet. And when he got to it, he, he realized that it was just, you know, faces and just real people. And we were all in our living rooms, or I, I was at the radio station, but um, it was nice. It was just like all these barriers got dropped. And um, he wasn't promoting anything either. He had nothing to promote. I think he really just did it because he was bored. And uh, it was lovely. It was lovely. Um, but it, as far as people that I've just straight up interviewed, um, It's interesting. There's been a lot of like, you know, celebrities and musicians and all that kind of stuff. But I think the interview that means the most to me was a woman named Elizabeth Smart. That name will probably be familiar to you because you're in Utah. Um, But Elizabeth Smart was a a, is a woman who uh, at the age of 14 was kidnapped out of her home and was gone for for quite some time and and was later found uh, to have been uh, taken by a man who who wasn't terribly far away physically from her family was in, in a nearby town actually. Um, and it was a you know, quite a, a terrifying story. And a lot of these times with people that this happens to, you never hear from them again, um, which is fine. They deserve their right to be a private citizen, but Elizabeth smart ended up becoming a very proactive spokesperson, uh, for, um, missing, missing children. And, um, you know, um, this kind of assault and, um, ways to protect yourself and how to help people and PTSD and all of that kind of stuff. And I had an opportunity to interview her when I was in Savannah and she had just written a book and it it was one of the, it was the most interesting interview I ever did. Um, I felt like I could ask her anything. She was so open and so interesting and so gracious and so kind. And she didn't have to be any of those things. I mean, here's somebody who who had every right to go back and be a, and just be a private person. But instead, she chose to be a public person and use her story to help other people. And um, I just, I really enjoyed speaking with her.
0: And Elizabeth Smart, by the way, lives in the same valley that I live in, uh, in Utah now. Now, yeah. does she? Uh-huh. Yeah, she moved to Cache Valley a few years ago, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, she still... Does a lot of public service work and uh, see her on newscast or see her, uh, you know, doing uh, doing things to help people out because she went through it and I was, uh, you know, living here in Utah when all that went down and and uh, just an amazing story and I I'm really glad you brought up uh, somebody who who triumphed over a personal I don't want to call it a tragedy but personal um, difficulties. And yeah. just made the best out of a situation, and uh, that to me is her best story because we all go through, we all go through things. I mean, no nobody in this life doesn't have something that they're going through or not going through that is very stressful to them, and uh, mm-hmm. that's an amazing story for Elizabeth Smart. I remember being uh, in Lake Tahoe on vacation during that time, and I pull off to get gas and there is uh, m- uh, information if you see elizabeth smart and where picture was right there and, and i mean how many hours away from salt lake city probably 10 to 12 hours away to the west and uh, there was information i was talking to the uh, the person behind the counter about that and and then they found out I was from Utah. So we had to start talking about Utah jazz basketball against Sacramento Kings, <laughs> <laughs> and, right? but, but it was, uh, it, it's something that, uh, just an amazing story. And uh, that an amazing interview and, and, uh, how it touched you. I can tell that it really did touch you that, uh, you got to talk to her.
1: Yeah. And I was, I was nervous. I mean, and I didn't get nervous, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just talking to people is what I do or what I did. Um, and that was the first time I was ever really nervous. And she just, I don't, I don't know that she knew I was nervous. I hope she didn't. Mm-hmm. But um, she just put me at ease right away, even if, I, even if she had known it. I mean, she was so easy to talk to. That's right. Awesome. Um, and, yeah, it was interesting. The one I didn't do uh, that I will always regret was I had an opportunity to interview Temple Grandin. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the timing, it just didn't work out. I couldn't do it. And I always always wish I could have done that because I think she would have been a, a very interesting interview as well. Um, but um, but yeah, I was I was pretty blessed. I got to tell when I was doing pub, uh, public affairs in Savannah, I got to tell a lot of great stories, great local stories. I mean, what a great! There's so much history, you know, between uh, Georgia and South Carolina. So much uh, Revolutionary War, Civil War, um, t- everything in between. So much history going on there. Um, I just, I had a great time doing, I do miss being able to do that, that kind of public affairs, local, you know, highlight story interview. That's, that's one thing I don't have in, in my current situation. And, um, you know, perhaps I'll figure out a way to do that here in Salem, Oregon. I would like to do that. I have a lot of things I'd like to do, but that's something that I miss is, is telling, telling those stories.
0: Uh, that, that's, uh, like I said, when, when we first started started talking, when you were talking about baseball, and then you started talking about theater and how it Mm -hmm. is just telling stories. And I think those are the ones that are making it in this business right now that know how to tell a story, how to frame a a story around, uh, whether it's news or whether even when you're a hot jock, uh, that Mm -hmm. you're telling the story of that radio station. And it's all about telling the story and intermixing it with some personal issues that sometimes get you know a little hairy uh with me I'm a I'm a cancer survivor had uh prostate cancer several years ago and had to have some procedures for that and I told it at uh, while well, I was introducing the beach boys at a concert I told the crowd there cuz it was <laughs> right. in my in my backyard I had permission from the beach boys to do that by the way but several years later uh, here was a listener that I had no idea who this person was that saw me came up and wanted to know how I was doing with my cancer fight and that wow. that just touched me and uh, i think the ones that are going to survive in this industry which is changing every day are going to be the ones that can frame that story and and then do it in a way that is uh inexpensive for the owners because uh the advertising dollars are going down right now
1: yeah yeah, that they are. But, you know, that says, that says something about you, and it also keys into something about, about radio, which is that you you shared a personal story about you um, because you, you keyed into somebody else, at least one person, probably many, 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 many more, uh-huh. who were going through the same or similar things. And, and that's what sets radio apart is when it's done well. Um, when you're honest, you know, we're real people. When you're truthful, people can see the truth and they can see the artifice. Um, and I think that's why the, the people who are honest do better than the people who aren't. I mean, in terms of storytelling, I don't, right. know, how, I don't know how the people who are honest are in terms of their you know, income taxes. But, you know, <laughs> but letting a glimpse of your true self through really, um, that's what what creates longtime listeners.
0: Uh, and I got to agree with you. There's a lady named Rebecca Cressman who uh, is at FM 100 in Salt Lake City. And I knew Rebecca years ago. I actually worked with her for a while. And I found out that she was in stage three breast cancer. Uh, and uh, she was going to come on with me uh, to do a podcast. This is like my third or fourth one. And we talked about her struggle and how she handled that and That led to something really going good in Salt Lake City. Rebecca got together with a couple of well-known news anchors on TV that had also been battling breast cancer, and now they have this big fundraiser, big fun walk every year to raise money for the American Cancer Society, specifically for uh, women's breast cancer research. And I'm so proud to know her, and she just posted the other day, she was doing the uh, stadium announcing for the University of Utah Gymnastics Squad, which is one of the top ones in the country. Uh, but she shared that not only with her audience, but shared that with me and the audience I have on this podcast. And I think we all live our lives and we all have things that we can help each other with, even if it's just just an ear. And I, I that's what I like about radio when you said those people were calling in saying they had lost their pet or they were, didn't know where to get the insulin. That's the strength of radio today that I hope mm. we never lose.
1: Me too. Me too. And Lord knows I love podcasting. Here we are. But, you uh-huh. know, it, it. there's something about the live and local that I agree with you. I, I hope that. I, I want us to have all those options. Right. I want us to have listen on demand and save it up and, and wait for a long car ride. But I also want to have live and local available at the touch of a button. I want it all.
0: Yeah, I wish more radio stations would record their shows, especially their Mm -hmm. interviews that they have. You know, Morning Radio uh, does a lot of interviews. Their news talk stations does a lot of interviews. And put it on podcasts. I know some of them are really starting to do that, but I see that more in sports talk than news talk uh, Mm -hmm. with with that. But it it does make it available 24-7 on demand that – we're going to have to get to that in radio and uh, and find ways yeah. to do it.
1: You know, it. I think it's it's a function of size and money because um, the station I work for, KCBS in San Francisco, does that. They they take a lot, many of the morning show, well, all day long interviews, and package them and put them on a podcast, and they get it up within a day. Mm-hmm. But there's a team. There's a there's a digital team that is <sighs> devoted to doing that, and and a small market radio station just doesn't have the time to read you'd you'd have to be the one morning guy who does it all you'd have to conduct the interview record the interview edit the interview package it up make a graphic post it online make sure it got posted talk about it on Twitter you know like all of the things that that go into making that a successful piece of information it takes a team of people I agree with you a million percent that I want every radio station to do that but it takes resources and unfortunately they just don't, you know, we don't all have the money like you talked about before yeah. with advertising revenue, right? It's it's all about money um, and, and, and being able to pay people to do that. And yeah, sure, there's internships and hopefully there'll be, you know, kids that, that will be willing to do it for less, but they shouldn't have to, you know. You should be able to make a good living in radio and, and, and be supported. Um, But that's hard. I know hard. how hard it is.
0: Very, very, very hard. And uh, mm-hmm. as as we sit here, here we are in different parts of the country. I'm in New Mountain West, and you're in the West Coast. Uh, what do you think radio has for us in the future? Have you thought about that?
1: Um, it's interesting. You mean in terms of content or technology?
0: Uh, I would say just a little bit of both. Technology is changing every day, and things like what we're doing right now, podcasting is one of the big ones, and then the remote right. news service that we both uh, do some work for. That's also a big change. Are, are you gonna be yeah. seeing more of that kind of thing?
1: I I certainly think we're gonna see a lot more people working from home. I think the, the notion of the physical radio station is definitely gonna dwindle down mm. to uh, a box in a room um, with a, a couple of people who are responsible for making sure that it goes out. I think we'll always have engineers Right. You know, uh, Until something major changes with the technology in the world, you're always going to need somebody who who makes sure that the, the, the tower is sending out the, the free signal or, or whatever, digital or you know whatever, whatever is going on. But I, I do think this work from home model is here to stay because it's so easy now. It's so easy and it will give. Stations. You can still be local. I mean, I could still work for a Salem radio station as easily as I could work for a San Francisco radio station. Right. right. Um, it's just such a small town. There aren't as many, many choices to make. And I don't want to drive to Portland. It's only an hour away. But now that I know I don't have to, why would I? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think that's one thing is that people are going to be able to be more, more nimble about where they work versus where they live and and how they get on air. Um, But I, you know, everybody's been talking about the demise of radio probably since it was invented. Every time something comes along, it's going to be the end of radio and here radio is still kicking. Um, So I don't necessarily see see any changes there. I'm just curious about, you know, the delivery methods. I mean, um, what are, what are all the millions of ways you can get it, on your phone or in, in in your ears and in whatever transportation mode that you're in, you know, how are how are cars going to change? How how much time are people really going to be spending um, in them? Right. right. Um, so I think it's more the technology that, that that's going to change.
0: And video killed the radio star. I always go,
1: right. <laughs> remember that? Yeah, that sure worked for you. Didn't
0: it? <laughs> yeah. I was working a classic hit station. That song came up and right. I, well, I tore into it, <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> and I loved mm-hmm. MTV. I say MTV now is more tasteless viewing. Uh, but back in the day, they they were really made a, a big impact. Well, Claire, it has been an absolute wonderful conversation. Uh, about your radio career, radio in general, and the strengths. Uh, and I, I think you're you're right on point when you talk about how the delivery method, the technology, is changing the industry. It's just for us to be able to change with it as announcers and uh, yep. people that are involved in radio. Because I still love this industry. I've been retired from it. I was let go during COVID decided to just go into the retirement mode and uh, i i still think that this is one of the the great uh, entertainment industries out there and I took away from the last couple of years of my career 40? sorry yeah yeah I took away saying I'm not a disc jockey i'm more of an entertainer and storyteller and mm-hmm. uh and then i i thought about that when i was also doing news back in tennessee and in central missouri uh that we tell the story of life and i think that's one of our strengths and keeping that in our heads is we we got to tell the story of life in cache valley in salem morgan in savannah uh wherever you've worked at in los angeles you got to tell the story of that life in that community and that's the strength of radio
1: that's right That's right. Mm -hmm. Dave, I love this. Thank you so much. I love this opportunity. I love talking to you. We have a lot in common. It's very cool. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And uh, what a great conversation. I really dug it.
0: And that's Radio Guy Reflections, a podcast about radio and the people behind the microphone. In future podcasts, we'll look at what makes a successful and sometimes a train wreck of a radio show. As we say in the radio business, if you put that on the radio, people will listen to it. We'll talk with people who started in radio and moved on to success in other fields. Radio Guy Reflections will be back soon with another show about radio and the men and women who produce the radio programs you've loved to listen to. Radio Guy Reflections is a production of Dave's Voice Works.